Hello and welcome back to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today I'm joined with Phil Cook, filmmaker, author, media consultant, and founder of Cook Pictures. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to the Guys Like Us podcast, or rather, welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast if this is your first time. Thanks so much for joining today. If you're a first-time listener, I appreciate you checking us out and hope you enjoy this conversation. If you're a long-time listener, thanks for your continued support. If you have not done so already, I greatly appreciate if you can leave a review on Google or on iTunes as it greatly helps support the continuation, development, and growth of this podcast. Today's conversation is with Phil Cook coming to us live from Los Angeles, California. Phil is quite an interesting man and has a lot of really great information to share in this podcast. His latest book, The Way Back, How Christians Blew Our Credibility and How We Get It Back. Today, pastors are a little bit below used car salesmen when it comes to trust and respect in America uh, over the past 30 to 40 years. I'm not knocking used car salesmen, uh, nor am I knocking pastors, but it should call us to to think about how we are being perceived in the public, in the church as well. Phil dug into some nationwide statistics, looking at the four big uh, groups, Gallup, Pew, Barna, and Lifeway, on a few core elements uh, of the faith which he'll discuss in this episode. And the way that Christians acting with these different faith elements was quite alarming uh, to our devotion and dedication. Um, In truth, Christians are living a phony, judgmental, hypocritical lifestyle. uh, And it takes going back to the early church to to look at how we can approach uh, moving forward in today's time. Phil dives and digs a bit more uh, into his childhood, his faith upbringing background, and how he got involved in media and film. Then brings us to some of his other latest work uh, with Hillsong, as he worked as the executive producer on their movie, Let Hope Rise. Uh, He shares a few Hillsong secrets, for those of you who know Hillsong, um, but also for for those of you who don't, uh, it's a great uh, church organization, but really more than just a church uh, and all the things that they do. Phil's been able to see uh, their backstory uh, and also behind the scenes. He ends with some advice on storytelling, how to tell a better story. So I hope this is exciting, uh, engaging, interesting, and also leaves you uh, with some valuable information that you can take home and apply to yourself. So without further ado, I'm gonna turn it on over to the conversation with Phil Cook. To get things started, I just wanna first say congratulations on your latest book, um, which came out a few months ago now, The Way Way Back, How Christians Blew Our Credibility and How We Get It Back. So congratulations. Thank you very much. The subtitle usually gets people's attention. How Christians (laughs) Blew Our Credibility and How We Get It Back. So that's a good thing. Yeah, well, I almost didn't mention it, but I'm I'm glad I did. Cause I, again, I think it, it, it's a little bit longer, but it's worth the it's worth uh, worth worth spelling it out. Yeah. Um, so from from just from hearing, you know, doing a bit more research and looking at even at the title, 
Uh, it sounds like a letter to Christians with a with a call to action to get back on the get back on the horse, get back into evangelizing. And again, we don't need more PR, but we need more uh, need more need a better sales force or people uh, in that in that aspect. So rethinking kind of how we've been uh, maybe sharing or or spreading the good news. Um, so I, I just want to um, kind of. I guess first ask, how have people responded to you and your co-author, Jonathan, since this has been uh, released in the past few months? Well, I thought we'd ruffle a few feathers, but people have been really responsive. People have been mm. very good about it. Um, and I, and sec- even especially in the secular world, I've been on CNN talking about it, and, mm. and they were very, very interested. And, uh, you know, it started it, – it, the book is really about – how we've engaged the culture over the last 30, 40, 50 years and how we've mostly failed at that. You know, we tried everything under the sun. We tried boycotting things that we didn't like. If you don't say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays, by golly, we're going to boycott your coffee. Um, We boycotted just about everybody under the sun and it hasn't done a bit of good. We boycott the gay community or we boycott Hollywood, but they make a movie we don't like. And it does, hasn't done any good at all. It's made no impact. Other other ministries try to get us to do petition drives. Or we'll, we sign enough letters and send them to a television network or a movie studio or some company. Maybe that will get them to change. And it's, the, the truth is Jesus never tried to change anything by force. You know, he never used the Hebrew buying power to try to shut down the Roman Empire. He never, you know, it was not about force. It was about mm. who you are and what you're all about. It was about service to people. So... Really, the book was, you know, we've tried all these things that haven't worked. If you really look at it, what's, what area, what social area in our culture have we moved the dial on in a positive way one bit in the last 30 years? Nothing. Nothing. And so the book is simply maybe there's another way to look at this. Maybe there's another way to try. And because we've pretty much blown our credibility in the culture. I mean, there was a time when my, da- my dad was a pastor in the 50s and 60s in, the- in North Carolina. And everybody respected my dad back in those days, even people that would never darken the door of a church. But today I saw a statistic just recently that pastors are a little bit below used car salesmen when it comes to trust and respect in America. So obviously what we've been trying to do in the last 30 or 40 years just simply hasn't worked. And so the book is about another way, uh, maybe a better way, to try to engage the culture more effectively. Hmm. Wonderful. Um, agreed. And, and, and we've, seen that, we've seen that play out. I've seen it play out, uh, kind of the, the force of aggression, whether it's passive aggression or yeah. maybe a bit more. Uh, it kind of depends what circle you roll in. But, you know, if you're, in the, if you're going to be in the, the Northeast or really, really anywhere, you'll see the, the, the passive aggression and um, subtle cues that might not be uh, with the right intention or focus. And ultimately, as we see, the, the fruit isn't, isn't developing either. Um, which is which is interesting. Um, well, that, that fruit issue is a good thing. You know, the Bible talks about the fruit of the spirit, which Tyler, as you know, is you know, um, goodness, peace, love, joy, all those things that the Bible lists that our lives should be reflecting. So hmm. theoretically, if you ask a non-Christian about Christians, those are the words they should use when they describe us. But today, when you ask non-believers about what, what do you think of when you think of Christians, you get words like hypocrite, phony. Judgmental, judgmental, political, all yeah. those kind of pushy, arrogant, all those kind of words that are nothing like what the Bible says we ought to be described as. So that's what really got us going. And we thought, okay, maybe there's something to the way we're living our lives that's uh, that's wrong here. And we went to the four largest mm-hmm. researchers in the country, Gallup, Pew, Barna, and Lifeway, 
and we said, look at your studies about how Christians are living their life. And we picked four areas that were really pretty simple, prayer, church attendance, Bible reading and tithing. We thought, you know, those are baseline stuff. It's not fasting. It's not mission trips. It's pretty simple stuff. And what we found through these research companies really shocked us as far as how Christians are actually living their lives today. And for instance, I'll give you, I'll give you a great example. Bible reading, for instance. We found out that people in the pew, people actually who show up in church, we're not talking about people who call themselves Christians but never show up. But people who show up in the pews on a typical Sunday, 40% of them read the Bible rarely or never. I mean, think about that. 40% read the Bible rarely or never. We found out that when it comes to church attendance, the rule of thumb now is the bar. In fact, the bar is so low that if you show up just 19 times a year, you're now considered a regular. 19 times a year, you're now a regular. Hmm. Um, prayer, 63% of church of, of Church-going Christians think prayer is essential, and we thought, okay, that's a good thing. 63% like prayer. But then, then we realized the flip side of that is 37, more than a third of the Christians in church today don't believe prayer is essential. And, of course, tithing is brutal. You, you know that. Uh, less than 10% actually give 10% of their income to kingdom work. So the bottom line is we have the nerve to criticize other groups because of the lifestyles they've chosen when, in truth, Christians are not living the lifestyle we've chosen. We're, we're talk about hypocritical. All those things that non-believers say about us, phony, hypocritical, judgmental, are absolutely true. Mm -hmm. And really the book forces us, I think, to confront the fact that we're just not living the life God's called us to live. And maybe that's the reason we've we have so little impact in the culture today. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, so moving forward, then, what, once we're able to to get to this place, and and I guess awareness and understanding of where we stand right now, I'm sure a lot of this might be new for a lot of people that are listening, or or or, or you know, for some, it's it's quite it's quite it's quite there. It's it's quite prevalent and and, uh, and unfortunately alarming. But once we're able to, I think, get to this place of in increasing our personal, looking at the individual, increasing our church attendance, getting sure. deeper in our prayer lives. You know, once these things kind of start to reform, have you seen maybe examples of uh, organizations or, you know, subculture, mini cultures that are creating that have kind of gotten to this new place and thus they're seeing people that are viewing them as a lot, as a lot, you know, they're using those initial words, love, hope, joy, you so, know, grace these things there's no question there are churches and christians and communities out there that are living the life they're supposed to live you know this mm. is um th these numbers are pretty you know horrifying but the truth is even in spite of that there are some christians out there that are doing the job but in the book we wanted to find out when was the last time the church as a whole was actually doing that job mm. and we had to go all the way all the way back two thousand years to the early church i mean that was the last time we found that the church as a whole was really making an impact. And we started studying what was it about the early church that that uh, impacted people's lives so much. And we realized that they were, you know, these were people that took Christianity seriously. Uh, becoming a Christian in the Roman Empire was like signing a death warrant. It's funny that when you accept Christ today, that's the term we use, we accept Christ. It's like we've cozied that word up. Back in those days, it was like signing your death warrant. So we've made this cushy life of being a Christian, and we don't realize, we've really forgotten the sacrifices that these early Christians made. And I'll give you an example of the kind of life they lived. Um, for instance, in the era of the plague, the plague was huge in the, in the days of the early church. 
And what we found out was historians tell us that that Romans could not get out of town fast enough when the plague hit. In fact, they had if they had relatives that suddenly started suffering from the plague, they would just dump them in the ditch on their way out of town. They could not get out of town quickly enough. But Christians, it was interesting, Christians would go to ground zero of the plague, and they would minister to people at the risk of their own life, people they didn't even know. And even Romans, it caught their attention. One of the emperors wrote a letter saying, these Christians, I don't understand them, they have far more courage than any Romans alive, because they're willing to sacrifice their own lives to help people they don't know. Um, another, another area in, in those days was you know, abortion was a horrible, horrible thing. It happened in, in early Rome. Think about how grisly that would be 2,000 year, years ago, having a, uh, an abortion. But more important, children were born, but one historian we discovered found out that Romans didn't even name their child for two to three weeks till after they were born because they could decide if they wanted it or not. I mean, keep in mind, Roman men own their wives, they own their children, and it was very common in those days for a child to be born, if you didn't want it, if it was extra mouth to pee, feed, more often a girl, you could just take that child to the city wall, leave it there to die of exposure, or maybe abandon it in a field outside the wall. So common in the early days of the early church. Well, Christians couldn't fight that. I mean, they had no power, they had no influence, they had no authority, but they could do something about it. So under cover of night, these crazy Christians, early, early Christians, would go out and take in these abandoned children. And they would bring them in their, into their family and raise them as their own. I mean, it absolutely baffled the Romans. They couldn't understand why anybody would want to go to this trouble. And even the church members around that family would help pitch in money and support that child and help raise it. And that so shocked the Romans that historians today tell us that a great reason for the fall of the Roman Empire was this shift in thinking. These Christians forced these Romans to rethink who Christians were and who was this God they served because of the things they did. They were so, they had such an incredible impact. And we realize today that they actually, we talk today, you know, about impacting the world, about changing the culture. Trust me, those early church members actually did that very thing. So it was a remarkable thing, largely because they actually lived out the faith that they talked about. Hmm. Absolutely, and 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 kind of a, on that same notion, and one of the first questions that come to mind is, well, we, maybe we can't change the culture as much as we did back then. But I, I would I would personally disagree. I think there's uh, we have a lot more resources and the yeah. abil- ability to really change not only the you know our our community or our neighborhood and maybe our state, but rather the the world at large with the resources we have. And I, so I think that might be something, you know, ah, well, you know, back then people were, they were the explorers, they were, you know, getting into new land. There was, you know, the et cetera, et cetera. But, but rather uh, there's a lot of opportunity today too. That's so true. I mean, I mean, we have the internet, we have so many things today. Now that one of the things worth considering is one of the biggest reasons they impacted the culture in biggest ways is just with a neighbor. You know, there's an evangelist in the UK, a friend of mine named J. John, brilliant guy. He says, you want to be a missionary? Great. Go next door. Um, Mm -hmm. In writing the book, we discovered statistics that an incredibly small number of people in America even know their next door neighbor's name. I mean, we don't visit them. We don't talk to them. We don't live in that culture anymore that we used to. And so I tell you, we could make, I mean, think of all the Christians in America. If we just started reaching out to the people next door or across the street or behind our house, Hmm. think of the impact we could make just my co-writer, Jonathan Bach, while we were writing the book, he felt convicted about that. And he decided to throw a block party on his street. And guess what? Everybody showed up. Everybody showed up. I mean, you throw a party, people are going to want to come. And they got to know each other. They started becoming friends. And now they start doing that on a regular basis. 
And so what kind of impact? If we just started small, you know, we, we don't have to get freaked out about changing the world. I think if we all reached out individually in our neighborhood, in our community, in our job, I think we could actually change mm-hmm. the world collectively and it would have a huge impact. Mm. Absolutely. And it's fascinating as we kind of looking back at the the source, I, I know a lot of Christians in in the Middle East right now are kind of, are li- some of them are still living in that, that, you know, it's not, you know, you're a Christian, but you know, you're a Christian on a, on a big, on a big date as in a data point, but rather it's, it's this, it's this almost life or death notion. And it's interesting as you get closer to the source of, uh, of where everything happens, uh, you start to maybe feel, feel the, 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 the effects more, but it, but it's also fascinating as, you know, there's been a lot of revivals and a lot of the spirit has moved throughout the United States as well. So the power still is still is definitely possible. And there's a lot of potential uh, where we are today. So it's just interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but I, I want to move, move forward to a bit more onto onto your your backstory and your back life. Uh, so can you take us back into your childhood in North Carolina? want to hear what times were like for you, um, your faith story, and, and then when you decided that that filmmaking, writing, and media would be the, the, the path forward. Yeah, I, I was a preacher's kid in North Carolina. I grew up behind the scenes in the church. I probably filled up 100,000 communion glasses. I probably printed a million bulletins on old mimeograph machines, and uh, I mowed the grass at the cemetery at our church. I was just the, pre- the, the typical preacher's kid. I never got into real trouble. Did a mm. few things I probably shouldn't have done, but... But uh, I was a preacher's kid in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, when I was in high school, I had a group of friends that we decided it might be fun to make some movies. And we got my dad's Super 8 movie camera, and we made space movies and army movies and mafia movies and all kind of movies. had no idea that this is something I'd want to do for a living. And when I went to college a thousand miles away in Oklahoma, I was uh, unpacking. And I thought, well, I'll take my, my films with me to college in case somebody else wants to make some movies with me and a couple of the little films fell out of my suitcase while I was unpacking and a guy across the hall noticed it and he was taking a film class. He said, hey, I can take you down to my film class and show you how to edit these. And um, so we did. And that night late, we were editing one of my little movies and it was terrible, trust me. But but uh, we were we were editing the film and the professor was there. He was working on a project of his own late that night. And as he was leaving, he stopped by the little table we were editing on and he said, you know, I've been watching your film. And he introduced himself, and he said, I've been watching your film, and I've been teaching this for years. And I've got students that have been taking classes in film for three, four years that still don't do this well. Could I show your film in my class tomorrow? And I'm just a freshman. And um, I said, sure, if I can sit in, I'd love to. And, and at that time, I was actually a music major. I had no desire to do film for a living. I never thought you could actually do it for a living. It never crossed my mind. And But I sat, the next day, I sat on the back row of his film class, and they projected my movie, and then they talked about it. And this idea hit me that probably the most crystal clear moment I've ever had in my life, really a a revelation, that if I can do something with a camera that makes people talk like this, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I literally enrolled in the film department that day, changed my major from music to to film, and uh, I've never looked back. That's been decades and decades ago now. But uh, I never really looked back because I just realized that I can make more of an impact with a single television program or a film. I, certainly I can reach more people than my father, pastor, reached during his, during his entire ministry. One movie, one television program will reach more people today 
than my father was able to reach during his entire ministry. So that doesn't you know, make what he did any less, because I think pastors are amazing and remarkable and we need more of them. But I do think that when you understand the power of media, you start to realize that uh, it's an incredible platform for sharing the gospel. So change my major, never look back. Mm. And here I am. And here you are today. Yeah, so, so um, I, I want to know, so I guess it's a few, was it 2016, so I guess two years back that you uh, worked on producing Let Hope Rise, the Hillsong movie. Um, I just wanted to, uh, to, to elaborate a bit more on that experience and the work that you were doing. And obviously Hillsong, uh, going on this notion of reaching a lot of people and the, the impact that media in, in, a, in a film can have on, uh, on pure numbers and pure, pure reach, um, obviously, Hillsong has done an incredible job uh, across the you know past past handful of years now, um, sharing their message, starting obviously from Australia and then branching out across the world. Uh, it's been it's been really cool seeing how they've impacted so many different spheres through music, through film, um, and uh, you know obviously in the church as well. Uh, so I, I want to know a bit more about that experience uh, and kind of what you learned about. Uh, about Hillsong by working directly with them and hearing their stories uh, that might be uh, a little bit uh, shocking or maybe uh, interesting to, to somebody who, who, who was, you know, who, who's seen it from, a, from an outsider's view. And, and obviously, you know, speaking on there, how they've been able to, to persuade such large populations to want to know kind of what has catalyzed that, that, that ability. Shocking Secrets of Hillsong from Phil Cook. Our new <laughs> for your program. This would be good. Um, now, well, you know, it's interesting. I've known the Hillsong guys for a long time. I've been friends with Brian Houston and Cass Langdon, Ben Fields, their whole media team and creative team who are fantastic. And about six or eight years ago, I went down to Sydney and I, I taught the entire church staff. Brian brought the whole church team together. And I got to spend an hour or two just teaching them about media and why it matters and the changes, changes that have been happening in the culture. And they just always had, an, uh, had a remarkable vision for seeing what's coming next and uh, I really have appreciated that and Brian is um, I think a master strategist a master leader I think he's done a brilliant job growing that organization but what he's done that's so impressive to me is surround himself with incredibly smart people I know so many pastors and so many leaders today that want to be the smartest guy in the room and um, Brian is not that way at all I remember in the old days when Darlene Check was leading worship for Hillsong we would go to an event and everybody knew Darlene, nobody knew Brian, and he was perfectly okay with that. And of course, things he's grown now, and he's become a highly respected uh, leader out there today, and it's largely because he's confident, he's incredibly humble in the way he leads, and he allows people around him to, to contribute. It's not something, it's not top-down leadership at all, and as a result, he tr attracts incredibly, incredibly talented people. His creative director, Cass, his head of TV, Ben, his, the, the whole team is just really remarkable. And then the pastors and the leaders of their different churches around the world are doing amazing stuff. So I just think that he's, one of the things that he's tapped into is the power of creativity. I, I think that for so long the church avoided or just was concerned or worried about being creative, thinking that somehow that would take away from the gospel. But I find it interesting that God chose him chose to introduce himself to us in the first verse of the Bible as a creator. And we are made in his image. And I think we need to raise the bar when it comes to creativity in the church today. And I think Ryan has really grasped that and created a team around him that really understands its power. So I think the reason people are so attracted to Hillsong initially 
is the creativity. You go to the Hillsong Conference, um, all the things they do, the Hillsong Channel and television, the print work they do, the online stuff they do is just incredibly well done and incredibly creative. So that attracts people. And then, of course, when they start hearing the message preached, they start uh, really getting the gospel in a powerful way. So the ability to use creativity to attract a crowd. We actually went to uh, hear Hillsong United play in the Hollywood Bowl a few years mm. ago, and they were doing a tour at that time, a world tour, and um, they sold out the Hollywood Bowl. They sold out Madison Square Garden. They sold out Red Rocks in Colorado, and I realized this is the, the most famous band in the world that nobody knows. It's just incredible. And so Jonathan Bach, who actually was my co-writer with The Way Back, we got together and started talking about what if we made a film about the new world tour that they were getting ready to do to unveil their new album? And so we put a crew together, traveled, followed them around the world, ended with a giant concert, hit the forum here in Los Angeles, and uh, sold out. And it was really remarkable. And so we decided to just do a documentary. And in doing that, Tyler, I'll say this, that we really wanted to make a film that you could bring a non-Christian to and not be embarrassed. You know, I, 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 I want non-Christians to look at it, and even if they walk away from the gospel, if they decide, you know what, this Christian thing is not for me, I still want them to say, but boy, was that a great film. You know, that was a great story. And I think if we can start getting that attitude in the work that we do as Christians, worry about the message less and worry about the presentation more, because I don't care how great your story if it's not done well, nobody wants to watch it. Nobody cares. So sometimes I think in the history of Christian movies and television, books, other things, we focus so much on the message, but put that message in a, re in a package that nobody cares about. So I think when it comes to design and graphics and creativity and art, all those elements I think need to be extraordinary because that's what opens the door to get people to listen to your message. And I think Hillsong has mastered that. Mm. And I think that's what's made them such a phenomenon around the world. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and on and on that one thing I've um, that I think has really stuck out is their, their ability to, to, to tell their story quite well. Um, it, you know, I, I think a lot of people know them as starting off as a small, as a small, uh, a small church and community in, in Australia and kind of taking, you know, taking, uh, churches by the, taking countries by the mass, uh, with their, you know, they're quoted as, you know, rock, rock band type worship or whatever, but, but, but regardless their you know, th their story has come out and it's been cool though, because people, I think are able to speak to their story in different ways that, that they've been able to connect to, which I think is great. Um, again, going back to the different to the different channels that they've been able to, to, to work into and people are able to see the gospel in different ways and create, although it's one story, they're able to, to find Jesus in different, different parts of that, that, uh, are that can, can be different, but ultimately lead back to the, to the same picture, um, which I think is quite interesting. You know, when you study the life of Jesus in the New Testament, you realize he spent his life where the people were. In those days, it was uh, the Temple Square. It was the marketplace. It was social gatherings like weddings. Well, today, the people are online. The people are watching television. The people are in movie theaters. And I think that um, we need to be, you know, we keep, we, we've had a generations of pastors and leaders in America that just expected people to show up at the church. But uh, people build it like Billy Graham, Oral Roberts, now Greg Laurie, and Joel Osteen, and people like that are going out, taking the gospel to where they are. But I think there's a whole other level and taking the gospel online, taking it into movies and television networks and stuff. So, and, and what's funny is we have the term faith-based movies or Christian films, 
But there are hundreds and hundreds of dedicated Christians in Hollywood that uh, I know personally who are working within the system, trying to change things from the inside. So taking the gospel to those places, that's what missionaries are all about. And I think there's people doing remarkable work here in Hollywood, uh, just getting the gospel into places that you would never believe, you know, you could possibly get it. But there are guys in there doing some remarkable things. So I, I'm always excited when people, A, tell their story well, when B, they know how to go into a hostile environment. You know, Paul at Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, for instance, you know, he was there with people that were not believers. And yet he was able to bridge that gap, engage them in a way they understood, and it made a huge impact on them. In fact, they asked him to come back. So that's what you want, is people so engaged, even if they don't accept Christ at that moment, they still want to talk about it. So that's the goal that I have with my life. How do we create television or film or other projects, online things, that engage a non-believing culture? And even if they're not ready to you know, accept Christ at any given moment, I still want them to want to talk about it. I still want to stay engaged with them, still want them to be pursuing that, because you never know where that could lead. Awesome. Um, so on the same notion of storytelling, I, I, I know you've you've written uh, in the past about the the importance about telling your story in today's day yeah. and age. So I, I want to know, um, just dive a bit more into this. And first, you know, what's the importance of storytelling? How, you know, what for the individual or for the organization, right? Or for the or for the film or whatever that looks like, but the importance of doing it. And then uh, what would you say are the top three things that are important for telling your story in today's in today's day and age? Well, I think uh, I'll give you three things that you probably won't expect or hear from a lot of people. Let me give you three unusual things that mm -hmm. I think are really critical for telling your story. Number one is be self-aware. Um, self-awareness is simply an accurate view of your gifts, your talent, your ability, uh, your attitudes, your behavior. It's just I'm, I'm consistently surprised at the number of Christians out there that really don't have an accurate uh, understanding of their gifts, their talents, their attitudes. I see people all the time, they're getting fired from their job because they didn't realize their habits were driving people crazy or their attitude was not very good or they were coming in and taking charge of things when they shouldn't. Um, too many people simply are not self-aware. And if you're going to tell your story well, you need to understand. I, I, one of the great examples is I get screenplays submitted from writers who say, Phil, God's called me to write. I have a huge passion for writing movies, and here's my latest screenplay. But it's terrible. It's just terrible. They don't have any clue that they're a horrible, horrible writer. And so it's more than passion. It's more than excitement. It's more than feeling like God's called you. You have to be really good. So number one, be self-aware. Stop. Take a few minutes and really think about, am I as good as I think I am or as I'm better than I think I am? And get, you know, talk to some people around you. Get some good objective viewpoints about your own attitudes and who you are so you have a really accurate understanding. So when you go into the marketplace, when you go in your job, when you're sharing your story, it's an accurate thing. I think that's just being more, I wrote a blog post uh, about that very subject. Um, your lack of, your lack of self-awareness is why you're going to get fired from your job was the name of the post. And uh, I just think being, be, having an accurate awareness of who you are is important. Second thing is keep it short, keep it short. You know, we live in a culture today where people are going to give you eight seconds to decide if they are interested in hearing what you have to say. And so I, I talk to a lot of people who want to tell me their story but it just rambles on and on and on and on and on and on. I just want to you know, shoot myself in the head. Um, 
just keep it short. It's it's I, I want there's an old saying out there an opera singer what said you have to learn to stop singing before the audience has stopped listening. And I think that's incredibly important with your story. Learn to stop your story, you know, end your story before the audience has stopped listening. So just practice keeping it short. There are people out there that I know um, think by talking. They want to, you know, they want to work it out in their head. Do that by yourself. And then when you're sharing your story with somebody, keep it short. Make the other person want to ask for more instead of driving them crazy. And finally, the third thing is practice. Practice. You know, we 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 sometimes get an opportunity for somebody and we haven't really thought about it or practiced much and we just kind of ramble or you know skip from here to there take rabbit trails here's my advice get alone in your bedroom in your office out in the park somewhere in your backyard somewhere where you're by yourself and just simply practice telling your life story to someone just make it short make it sweet get to the point and it's about the emotional changes what has God done in your life it's very simple and here's the thing even if you feel like Nothing great has ever happened to me. I, I don't have a dramatic testimony. Let me tell you, there's somebody that needs to hear your story. No matter how mundane it is, there's somebody else that needs to hear it. But we need to practice it. Now, it doesn't mean we memorize it. It doesn't mean we come off as fake. We just need to get comfortable telling it so that whatever environment you're in, whatever group you're in, whoever you're talking to, suddenly you're not stumbling around they, trying to remember what you you know, you know wanted to tell them. You've got this idea, this core idea of the story you want to share. And, uh, you know, the New Testament talks about, uh, you know, being available, being ready at any moment to share your story. And we should be ready at any moment. So practices. So three things, you know, be, become more self-aware. Make sure you have an accurate idea of your gifts, your talent, your ability, who you are. Uh, keep it short. That's incredibly important. And then third is practice. Be ready to tell it and really tell it well. And you do that and you'll see a dramatic change in the impact that your story starts having on other people. Hmm. How's that? No, it's great. And uh, the, the self-awareness component, I think, is uh, is very uh, good to know. It starts with the self-awareness. And um, I like how you mentioned it's not only your thoughts of your perceptions of yourself, but bringing others and understanding maybe those who are close with you, maybe those who are maybe a bit more distant. How, what are they perceive, you know, of your talents, of your gifts, of wow. your strengths? And I, I think, I don't think a lot of us do that enough. I don't think we ask, hey, yeah. do you think I'm, you think this is something I'm actually good at before? You know, we just maybe we'll shoot an idea in the dark, which is I, I, I'm all for getting out there and doing it. But again, going back to the awareness and then the, kind of intertwining that practice in. let's keep on doing this. Let's see if this is good. At some point, you have to kind of you have to cut them, cut some cut some things out or maybe really eliminate yeah. if we're looking at maybe, a you know, a calling or, a, you know, a job. Maybe this isn't the right fit if we're looking at, you know, and then again, going back to the the, the keeping it short too. there's. There's obviously all these different all these different ways of you know the 15 second the 30 second the minute long pitch or whatever it looks like but know how long and to, and how and how much to share as well. I met a pastor the other day that thinks he's brilliant. He's pretty convinced he's one of the great pastors of our generation. But in the pulpit, he reads everything. He never looks at the audience. He never makes eye contact. He stumbles. He says um ah uh, constantly. Uh, he says like after every sentence, like, you know, I really like think that uh, like we ought to like read the Bible like more. And um, you just this is a guy that's never really stopped, listened to his own messages, um, watched himself preach. You can watch yourself on video real easily and get an accurate assessment of how good he is. And so he, he's never going to go beyond a certain lid 
until he understands that and he starts to change those things. I think mm -hmm. the guy has enormous potential, but there's so much holding him back because he doesn't have that self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, just wanted to hear to, to wrap up and conclude sure. um, a, word, a word of encouragement or something on your heart that uh, you'd like to share. Well, I think that uh, the bottom line is everyone listening to this has a story they can tell. And not certainly not everyone listening to this, uh, you know, you're going to get a movie made about your life or you're going to get a best-selling book made about your life. But I really do believe that if you stop and look back at what's happened over the course of your life, whatever situation you've come from, I think God can use that to really impact somebody else. Um, we, we should get more fluent and comfortable at telling our story. I'll tell you, people love to hear. It's, it's interesting. The most popular programs on primetime television, for instance, uh, are story-based programs. They're sitcoms, they're movies, they're dramas. Um, you know, game shows, uh, documentaries, those things are great, but they're not the ones with the biggest audience because people love to hear a story. And I think great storytellers, if you want to be any kind of leader, you're going to have to address audiences. You're going to have to do presentations. You're going to have to lead your team. And so becoming a great storyteller is a key part of all that. And I think that uh, all of us can learn to improve. All of us can get better at speaking publicly and sharing our story with people. So I just think everybody listening to this could do it and has enormous potential. And I think you could break through where you're at right now and get to the next level of your life in a great part by just learning to tell your story more effectively. When you can do that, you'd be amazed at what can happen. Awesome. Uh, well, Phil, thanks so much for, for spending some time today. I uh, really enjoyed this, this conversation and, and hearing a bit more about your story and what you've been up to as of recent uh, as well. And um, I'm sure that, again, a lot of people um, will value this conversation and will uh, at least have an understanding that the story is important and, and hopefully go back home and, and work on practicing their, their own story as well. Yeah, well, I love what you're doing with the podcast, by the way, and I uh, really appreciate it and had a great time. Thank you so much.